Ever thought about setting up a website to advance a business idea or share your knowledge? If you don't know where to start, then let's be partners. I'm Jonathan Mosen, and at Mosen Consulting, we work with our clients every step of the way, doing as much or as little as you need us to do. We'll set up a domain name, design a logo, install and configure the website, and then give you a personalized manual written in clear Mosen Consulting style so you can run the website yourself once it's set up. Working closely with you, Mosen Consulting will deliver a website that's accessible, classy, and functional. Contact us and describe the website of your dreams at mosen.org. That's M-O-S-E-N.org. Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. This is episode 75, and you know what that means? It means we're three quarters of the way to episode 100. How epic is this? On the podcast, our main feature today is an interview with Anna Dresner. She is an author of technology-related books for the blind community. And today, Anna and I are going to be talking about her new book, You and Your Apple Watch. We'll be talking about the accessibility of Apple Watch. Why would you want one? How would you use one? And how does it compare with cheaper wearables that are out there? Because like most things Apple, the Apple Watch isn't the cheapest game in town. And it gives us lots of answers. Make sure you do check out her book. There's a link to it directly in the show notes if you have the ability to access those. Or you can go to National Braille Press's website at www.nbp.org. We'll also take a look at the new Alexa skill for the Blindside podcast. I'll show you a cool new trick that's buried away in Spotify that you may enjoy if you like hearing the Blindside podcast on Spotify. And we'll take a look at some items of news in the blind community, including following up on a couple of things that we have covered in previous episodes of the Blindside I want to welcome our listeners to iHeartRadio. This is yet another way in which you can hear the Blindside podcast. iHeartRadio is an app that's available in many countries, including New Zealand. It's built into a lot of smart speakers and devices. iHeartRadio is available on Sonos. It's also available in the Amazon Echo and other devices as well. So now you can fire up your iHeartRadio app or device of choice, search for The Blindside Podcast, and you'll find us here in iHeartRadio. If you are an iHeartRadio listener and you're listening to The Blindside Podcast for the first time because you've just stumbled upon it now that we've arrived, well, a very warm welcome to you. I hope you'll browse through the back catalogue of The Blindside and find some items of interest there. I am truly excited about the smart speaker market in a blindness context. One of the things I've been passionate about all my professional life is making information accessible to as many blind people as possible and using technology to bring us all together as a blind community. Some of us who have devices like smartphones and computers and even victory to streams forget that the majority of blind people are elderly They go blind later in life because of conditions such as age-related maculopathy. And for some, it's demoralizing in the sense that it's all part of the aging process and many just don't have the strength to go on and learn how to use a computer or to read Braille because it's all just so overwhelming. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is in that position. There are some seniors who pick themselves up and keep going and learn all sorts of technologies. But that is the case for the majority of people who become blind later in life. The smart speaker market is exciting for this group because it allows them to access information independently using the most natural means possible, their voice. And so I wanted to get the blind side on these smart speaker devices in as user-friendly a way as possible. Ever since the Amazon Echo and Google Home came out, it's been possible to access podcasts like The Blind Side on them both. Both of them support TuneIn Radio, and The Blind Side has been available on TuneIn Radio since the beginning. And now you can access The Blind Side podcast on Spotify and iHeartRadio, which is certainly both available on Amazon Echo. There are also generic podcast skills for Amazon Echo, The one I like is called AnyPod, and I have been in touch with the AnyPod developer because when we moved our podcast to a new host, 
AnyPod lost us. They have found us again. So if you've been having trouble listening to The Blind Side using AnyPod, you can now do that again. The advantage of these dedicated podcast skills is that they understand concepts like picking up from where you left off, which is always great if you're listening to a bit of a podcast and then you need to stop. It's great to be able to resume. I like to think of Alexa's skills in the same way that I think of JAWS scripts. Sometimes it's not absolutely essential to have them, but they can add more efficiency and more functionality. And that's precisely why we now have an Amazon Alexa skill for the Blindside podcast. Whether you are a major computer geek or whether you tend to struggle with this technology, the voice is just so easy in terms of hands-free controlling your podcast listening experience. And I wanted the Blindside to be an experience that was efficient, effective, and easy. Our new podcast host, Libsyn, has delivered this to us, and I want to thank them very much. And since I've changed my mind on this, since I published my podcasting course, I want to say to everybody involved in podcasting or thinking of being involved with creating a podcast, just go with Libsyn. (laughs) They are innovating in so many ways. They have great support. You can get your podcast in so many places, as you've seen in terms of the way that the blind side is expanding in 2018. They think like podcasters think, and the reason for that is because they are podcasters themselves. So they're always striving to find ways of making it easier to create podcasts and making it easier for you to hear them. So let's demonstrate this skill. Now, I have changed the wake word to one that is a little less frequently used. If you happen to use the company name as your wake word, then you may like to mute your echo device if it is close by. But if you use Alexa as your wake word, other than having said it now, I'm not going to use that anymore because it's my goal in life to preserve your sanity. I mean, it's too late for mine, but it's not too late for yours. As I record this demo, it's Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2018, and the skill is only available in the US Alexa store. I am advised, though, by Libsyn, who have been very responsive to me about this issue, that very soon the skill is being rolled out to other markets, Australia, Canada, India, the United Kingdom, Germany, France, and Japan. Now, to the best of my knowledge, that is all of them. And so if you're not seeing the skill at the moment, hopefully it's not too far away, and I'm grateful to Libsyn for that. I have my Echo devices set to the United States. I had a brief flirtation with the Australian and New Zealand markets when they came out, and there are a few specific skills for us here down under, but by and large, I found it a much better experience to switch back. So that's what I've done, and that's why you will hear the US voice and why I can demonstrate the skill at present. The first thing that you should do is enable the skill. You can do this by going to alexa.amazon.com and signing in on your computer. I find it a very good experience. I tend to use JAWS and Firefox for that, and it works very well. You can also open the Amazon Alexa app on your smartphone, or you can actually just do it from the Echo itself like this. Amazon, enable the Blindside podcast. Okay, here's the Blindside podcast with Jonathan Mosen. Welcome. You can listen to all the episodes of the Blind Side podcast, including new episodes, as they are released. For now, you'll start with the most recent episode, but you can change by skipping forward or backward. You can even say how many episodes you'd like to skip. The newest episode is the Blind Side podcast 74, filmmaker Nicole Ellis's blind date documentary, and America, put down your guns. Would you like to listen to it? Yes. Here's the Blind Side Podcast 74, filmmaker Nicole Ellis's blind date documentary, and America, put down your guns. For a long time, it's been said there's a book inside every Amazon. one of us just. Tell the Blind Side Podcast to fast forward five minutes. Skipping forward five minutes. But increasingly, as markets become more global, it does seem like a bit of a weak Amazon. excuse. And- Tell the Blindside podcast to rewind two minutes. Skipping backward two minutes. Publishing to my LinkedIn profile. We're publishing to YouTube as well. We Amazon. To Facebook. 
stop. Okay, come back anytime to listen to your podcast. You just have to say, Alexa, resume. Amazon, open the Blindside podcast. Welcome back. Would you like to continue where you last left off with the Blindside podcast 74, filmmaker Nicole Ellis's blind date documentary, and America, put down your guns? No. The previous episode is the Blindside podcast 73, new Blindside discussion group. Apple comes to terms with its iOS bugs. David Woodbridge talks home pod. Would you like to listen to that? No. How about the Blindside Podcast 72? Chris Danielson from NFB Talks Airline Service Dog Policies, the ADA Education and Reform Act, and more. No. You've skipped backward a few episodes. If you want to skip more than one at a time, just let me know. Should I keep skipping back? Yes. How about the Blindside Podcast 70? Delta's new animal policy a threat to guide dog handlers' freedom of movement. Play the most recent episode. Playing the most recent episode, the Blindside Podcast 74, filmmaker Nicole Ellis's blind date documentary, and America, put down your guns. Amazon, tell the Blindside Podcast help. This skill allows you to listen to your favorite podcast, the Blindside Podcast. If you have already been listening to an episode, you will be asked if you want to continue. Otherwise, you will be asked if you want to listen to the newest episode. You can also skip through which episode you want to listen to. By skipping forward or backward, you can also skip by any number by saying something like, skip five episodes. You are also able to skip forward or back within an episode. To skip within an episode you will need to re-invoke the skill name asking to skip ahead or back followed by the amount of time. Would you like to continue where you last left off with no. the Blindside Podcast 74, filmmaker Nicole Ellis's blind date documentary, and America, put down your guns? Oh, sorry. No. Welcome back. Would you like to continue where you last left off with the Blindside Podcast 74, filmmaker Nicole Amazon. Ellis's blind... Stop. Goodbye. And that is the Blindside Podcast Amazon Alexa skill. You can enable it by asking your Echo to enable the Blindside Podcast. If it is not in your Amazon Echo store yet, it should be very soon. As I mentioned last week, we were delighted to be able to tell you that the Blindside Podcast is now on Spotify. Spotify is a service that allows you to access, gosh, well over 40 million songs now. It is available on subscription to give you the full service, but there's also a free tier of Spotify, so it does differ from Apple Music in that regard. You can download the Spotify app from Spotify's website if you have a Mac or a PC. You can get it from your App Store if you have an iPhone, and of course from the Google Play Store if you have an Android device. When I mentioned Spotify, I got an email from a listener who said, is there any way to speed up the playback of Spotify? And actually, there is for podcasts. It makes no sense to speed up the playback for music. But when you are listening to spoken word material, many of us who've been listening to audio since childhood do like to crank it up and process the information as quickly as possible. So I want to show you how to do this because it's a little bit hidden. So I've got my iPhone here on the desk in the studio, my iPhone 10. I'm going to open the Spotify app. Open Spotify. Spotify home heading. And now we're at the Spotify home screen. I'm going to go to the bottom of the screen. Your library tab 505. And flick back. Radio tab search tab 305. There's the search tab. So I'll double tap. Search search field. Double tap to edit. I'm focused on the search field, but the search field isn't active yet. I'll double tap to do that. Search field is editing. Insertion point at start. And I'm going to type the Blindside podcast. I'm going to use Braille screen input to do that. Braille screen input. Orientation locked. Landscape. Home button to the right. Tabletop mode. Contracted. We'll calibrate the dots. Dot positions calibrated. And then just type in the search. T-H-E-B-B-L. Blind. S-I-D-E. Side. P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Portrait. The blind side podcast search field. We'll flick to the right now. Open camera, but top result heading. The blind side podcast podcast. Jonathan Mosen button. There it is. I'll double tap. 
The blind side back button. And flick to the right. Context menu button. The blind side podcast. Selected following button. And I'm following that just to make sure it reaches Spotify. I can check on that. You can double tap to follow the blind side podcast in Spotify if you wish. By Jonathan Mosen. Page one of two. Adjustable. Filter and sorting button. All episodes. We're pleased to welcome Spotify as another outlet now carrying the Blind Side podcast. Feel free to search for and follow us there if you're a Spotify user, still recovering from your Valentine's Day or lack there. There's a description of the last episode, and I'm going to double tap and that should start to play. Progress, 0%. For a long time, it's been said there's a book in... I performed a two-finger double tap to pause. The Blind Side podcast is now playing... And we can still flick around this screen and explore other episodes. But what we want to do in order to adjust the speed of the playback is to get right into that full screen now playing view. If you use Spotify often enough, you'll learn where to touch to get exactly to the button that activates the now playing view. But I'm going to perform a four finger single tap towards the bottom of the screen. Your library tab five or five. And I'm on the tab strip at the bottom. So I'm going to flick to the left. Radio. Selected. Browse. Home. Tap. Devices available. Play. Button. The blind side podcast. Open the now playing view. Button. And there's the open the now playing view button. That's the one we want. Open the now playing view. Close the now playing view. Button. And the button has now changed to a close the now playing view. This has given us a full screen view of the episode. If I flick to the right now. Playing from show the blind side podcast. Heading. Q. Button. Add to collection. Track is not in your collection. Dimmed. Button. The Blind Side Podcast 74. Filmmaker Nicole Ellis' Blind Context Menu. Button. There is the rather innocuously named Context Menu. And this is where the feature is tucked away. So I'm going to double tap the Context Menu. Contact. The Blind Side Podcast 74. Filmmaker Nicole Ellis' Blind Date Document. 47. 56. Left. 20. The Blind Side Podcast. By. We're pleased to welcome Spotify. More. Button. Download button. Go to podcast button. You can download the podcast, by the way, so that if you don't have access to an internet connection, you can still listen to the podcast. That could be useful if you're going to take a plane trip or you're going into an area where cell coverage isn't so good. Add to queue button. Share button. Podcast speed button. And there it is. Podcast speed. Let's double tap and take a look at the options. Change speed heading. Flick right. 0.5x button. 0.8x button. Yeah, so you can also slow it down. I'm, I'm not sure why you would want to. We'll flick to the right. 1x button. So 1x is what we currently have. It doesn't give us any indication that 1x is currently selected, but, but it is because we know it's playing at regular speed. 1.2x button. 1.5x button. Let's try 1.5x. So I'll double tap that. 1.5x. And that should be selected. And to check, I'm going to perform a two-finger double tap to resume playback. I had every one of us just waiting to come out. And you know, I think that's true of podcasts too. You're listening to a podcast right now. so you- And there I am, sounding like I'm about to give you uh, the, the terms and conditions or something. Now, when you have set your podcast playback speed, that playback speed is going to apply to all podcasts that you listen to through Spotify. In that sense... It may not be quite as flexible as some of the really higher end podcasting tools that are dedicated to podcasting, where you can specify a default playback speed on a podcast by podcast basis, but it's still pretty nifty. And it's so buried away that I thought I'd share that with you because you may not actually know that by listening through Spotify, you can adjust the playback speed. And now, stories making news in the blind community on The Blind Side. Three things to follow up on in terms of previous episodes of the podcast. A little while ago, we did a series and they were quite popular, actually, called Don't Panic. It's the Blind Person's Guide to the Galaxy. And many people may have thought that's a very bizarre title, but good on you if you got it because it's a little tribute to Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, of which I am a super-duper fan. So we focused on the latest Galaxy at the time, which was the Samsung Galaxy S8. But over the weekend at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, Samsung have come out with the new one. See, these smartphones keep evolving, and uh, all of these manufacturers want you to buy the, the latest and greatest new thing. And in the context of Samsung... 
that latest and greatest new thing is the Samsung Galaxy S9, and there's also an S9 Plus with a bigger screen, a slightly bigger battery as well, and a few tricks to the camera. So what's new in the Galaxy S9 range? Well, to some extent, Samsung is responding to the iPhone X, but they're responding in some interesting ways. Let's take an emoji as an example. This is one of the things that Apple really trumpeted when they unveiled the iPhone X. You go into the Messages app on your iPhone, you choose the Animoji app because the Messages app now has its own little app store and the Animoji app is built into the iPhone X and they use the front-facing camera, the same one that they use for Face ID, to track your facial movements and then you can choose from a series of characters. There are some new ones coming in iOS 11.3 and essentially it looks like you are a smiling pile of poo or a gorilla or I can't remember all the different emojis. The thing about that, though, is that it only works in the Messages app and you can only message other iPhone users. And so Samsung have done a kind of a me too with their AR emoji, augmented reality emoji. But what they've done is they've opened it way up, which is, of course, both a strength and a weakness of Android. One of the strengths of Android is that there's no sandboxing, which means you can do some pretty clever technological things that link apps to one another. But of course, that's also a weakness because one rogue app can contaminate other apps. They can do virus and trojans and all those sorts of things. And that sort of thing is pretty rare on iOS. So it really does depend on what's important to you, the extensibility, the flexibility to do whatever you want on your Android phone or some degree of security with the compromise of uh, less flexibility. So that's sensible, sensible marketing on Samsung's part to really emphasize the openness of Android. And their version, their AR Moji, works with any device. So a Samsung Galaxy user can send an AR Moji to an iPhone user. But there's even more than that. It works with a range of third-party messaging apps. So if you want to send one of these things through Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or any of those things, then you can do that. So that's pretty clever stuff. They've also done some other things with slow-mo and things that many of us may not be particularly bothered about. Fast wireless charging is a big thing that they are talking about in the Galaxy S9. If you've got a wireless charger for your iPhone 8, 8 Plus or iPhone 10, you'll know that it sort of takes a while. The best way to charge your newer iPhone is unfortunately to plonk down some cash and buy one of those larger adapters from Apple with the um, USB-C to lightning cable, and then you can charge your iPhone super fast. But it is somewhat disappointing that they are not included in the box with your iPhone, especially given what you pay for the iPhone X. The, the wireless charging is convenient. I have my iPhone ten just sitting here on the wireless charger, and it's nice. It's it's good also because it works with, with my Samsung Galaxy S8. So you can just plonk whatever phone needs charging on the wireless charger and it does it. But it does take a while. And Samsung is saying with the right new accessory, which has been given away if you pre-order a Samsung Galaxy S9 in this country, you'll find a much faster wireless charging experience. So that's good. Samsung made a big deal of the fact that they continue to have a headphone jack. Hooray that a mobile manufacturer of the size of Samsung is being sensible. So you've got water resistance, and yet you've still got a headphone jack. You've still got a thin, sleek phone. And I only wish that Samsung would add integrated Braille support into Voice Assistant of a similar quality to iPhone's Braille support, because if they did, I would be sorely tempted. I just use Braille so much on my phone for my work to do this podcast, to do things like the Daily Fiber on Mushroom FM. I could not switch because the Braille support is just so mediocre in anything Android and years behind what we have on iOS. If Samsung would take some time to crack that and integrate Braille support into Voice Assistant, boy, would I be tempted. Another thing that they made a big deal of in the S9 was to say, we've still got the fingerprint sensor. And they took a little dig at Apple and they said, we know that some people like to unlock their phone with the fingerprint sensor. And so we're not going to take it away. They have moved the fingerprint sensor, though, 
compared with where it was in the S8, it's now below the camera because what people were finding was that they would inadvertently put their finger on the camera lens thinking that it was the fingerprint sensor. And what does that do? Well, it smudges your camera lens, right? So that can affect your pics. So they have moved it in response to public feedback. They've also received some feedback on the speaker in the S8, and now they have stereo speakers. They really needed to do that because the sound of the S8, given what you pay for it and the fact that it is supposed to be a flagship phone, was actually quite mediocre. Apple's done some very good things with the sounds of their phones of late. So Samsung has responded to that and they now have AKG stereo speakers. One also acts as the earpiece. But here's a really interesting thing. You've got Dolby Atmos. Dolby Atmos is a technology that kind of tries to simulate 3D sound. If you have sat in a really well calibrated home theater system that does Dolby Atmos, you will know that to hear it is to never forget it. It's stunning when it works well. And Dolby Atmos will work with the speakers. I'm told by people who have had a look at the S9 that it really does sound good. People I've talked to have said, look, it's actually the best cell phone they've ever heard. I have not heard it yet, so I reserve judgment on that. But not only will it work with the AKG speakers that are included, it also works with the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. And if Samsung are achieving this without inconveniencing people by taking away the headphone jack that's so ubiquitous on just about everything, then it really does make Apple look rather silly in that regard. When I did the demonstrations of the Galaxy S8, there was a lot of talk about them on the blind phones discussion list. And incidentally, you can still subscribe to that if you want to talk about iOS or Android or any other phone, you can send a blank email to blindphones plus subscribe at groups.io. That's blindphones plus subscribe at groups.io. People commented on that list about Bixby, the digital personal assistant that Samsung is pushing very hard. They've put a lot of research and development work into Bixby, and they are really committed to this. Later this year, the industry fully expects that there will be a Bixby speaker. Yes, another one. These personal assistant type speakers are popping up everywhere and Samsung wants to be in the picture. And the word is they are going to come out with a Bixby powered speaker. Now, if they are doing things like Dolby Atmos on their phone and they're taking sound seriously, then if they come out with a Bixby powered speaker, maybe that has good stereo or at least multi-room or multi-speaker support, and it has Dolby Atmos and a jack so you can connect other things to it, well, it could be really interesting. One of the things that Bixby now does is apparently help you set up your Galaxy S9. I haven't seen this in action, and they made no reference to it directly in the launch, but my understanding is that if you get... A Galaxy S9 Bixby will talk you through optionally the uh, setup process. So that, that could be a very good thing uh, from an accessibility point of view. The other one that intrigues me, and I'm a little bit skeptical about how this works until I see it working. You can apparently take a picture of a plate of food. People do this, don't they? They, they take pictures of a plate of food and they post it to Instagram or to Twitter or whatever. But in this case, I mean, I guess you can do that too. But the reason for taking a picture of a plate of food in the context of Bixby is that it will then apparently analyze the nutritional content of the plate and report that in Samsung Health, which is the equivalent of the Apple Health app. That interests me a lot if it works well. Also, you can take a picture of a printed document and Bixby will detect that the document is not in your default language and assume you want it translated and it will translate in real time. Some very intriguing things happening with Bixby. There's a lot of information about this. We covered it extensively in Mushroom FM's technology show, The Daily Fiber, where we played highlights of the launch, and we did a lot of analysis on that. So do make sure you're checking out The Daily Fiber on Mushroom FM if you're interested in technology. It's there every day with a new bulletin of technology news. Let's move on to another story that we've been covering on the blind side, and that relates to Delta's decision to change their service animal policy in a way that would have inconvenienced blind people and guide dog handlers. 
And there was a lot, understandably, of adverse reaction to this. And Delta has seen some sense. And it just goes to show that advocacy really does make a difference. Not always. And sometimes you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall with advocacy. But then every so often the wall moves just a bit. Here's the statement directly from Delta on this. In January, Delta announced policy changes for those traveling with service and support animals to support the airline's top priority of safety after an 84% increase in reported service and support animal incidents since 2016. Based on conversations with key stakeholders in the disability community, the airline is further enhancing its policy effective March 1st. We are implementing these changes for the safety of all customers, employees and trained service and support animals flying Delta while supporting the rights of customers with legitimate needs such as veterans with disabilities, says John Laughter, Delta's Senior Vice President, Corporate Safety, Security and Compliance. While we will require that all animals not confined to kennels in the cabin have up-to-date vaccinations, we have enhanced our policy to make online submission optional for those individuals who are blind or have reduced vision or other disabilities and have trained service animals. In developing the updated requirements, Delta solicited the feedback and input of its 15-member advisory board on disability, a group of advocates established more than a decade ago and made up of Delta frequent flyers with a range of disabilities. Following the announcement, Delta and its advisory board on disability continued conversations with a diverse mix of advocacy groups that represent people who rely on trained service animals, such as the National Federation of the Blind. We are pleased that Delta has responded in a timely way to the concerns we raised about their policy for guide dogs and other service animals, including making enhancements, says Mark Riccobono, President of the National Federation of the Blind. We also note Delta's expressed commitment to listening to its passengers. In light of that commitment, we look forward to sharing our expertise with Delta so that it can provide equal service to blind passengers in all of its operations. So, hooray! Well done. Congratulations to everybody who had a positive impact on that outcome. Things aren't looking quite so good, though, for the ADA Education and Reform Act. This is another thing that we've spoken about recently on the blind side. We had Chris Danielson from the National Federation of the Blind, and we talked about a range of things, including this. It has passed the House, and as we record this, it looks like it's being fast-tracked through the Senate. And what I'm reading indicates that it may well pass the Senate. This is a serious piece of legislation that has the potential to uh, gut severely the Americans with Disabilities Act. If you'd like to know more about that, do check out episode 72 of this podcast. Feel the need to sound off? Share your thoughts about this week's show by email. Send an audio file or write it down and email theblindside at mosin.org. Hey, Jonathan, this is Daniel Montalvo from Madrid, Spain. It's a blessing to, you know, contact with you. You've been commenting on, on the fact that uh, all the HomePod devices, Apple HomePod and, and Google Home and all that stuff, are not available in all English-speaking countries, but at least you can hack it uh, to a certain point and be able, able to uh, use it in English. Imagine the situation in countries where we don't speak English and, you know, uh, English is at least our second language uh, and we don't have that technology available. So it is not only that people here cannot have access to the Google Home and the Alexa and all that stuff, it's also that when you can buy them in the United States or for whatever reason somebody brings all the stuff to you, you have to learn or you have to know English to interact with them because they're not translated into Spanish or any other foreign language. So it's really a pity. Something that I would, you know, like to be um, hearing on the on the Blindside podcast is the HR 620 Act that's um, going to be 
uh, passed or has been passed in the uh, Congress, I think, of the United States. I consider it to be threatened to not just people in the United States, but also people outside the United States. And I will explain myself a little bit. When it comes to, you know, uh, convincing uh, organizations or people in general, businesses and all that stuff to work in accessibility, something that we generally do here in Spain is say, oh, okay, you have to comply with the Spanish legislation. That's uh, an obvious thing. You have to comply with the United States uh, legislation because you're going to be operating in an international environment and uh, complying is something you have to, you know, you have to take into consideration because you're going to, to be offering your services not just to Spanish clients but also to, to the United States clients. So I think, I really think that if this HR 620 thing comes into law, that's going to be really tough, really tough. So I really hope uh, we can stop it together. Thank you very much for playing this message. It's a pleasure to be a part of the Blindside podcast. Bye-bye. Good to hear from you, Daniel. And a very good point that you make regarding the ADA Education and Reform Act. I think increasingly many people are looking to Europe now and the European Union, not just on blindness issues, but also when you look at the more rigorous privacy legislation, data protection that they are implementing in Europe. Also, of course, with the United States abandoning net neutrality, at least at the federal level, there are states that are seeking to compensate for the FCC's decision by introducing net neutrality at a state level. Really, it's it's very sad to see what is happening in the United States, who were once a leader in so many areas and are now falling behind and uh, not being the country that people really look to emulate as much. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. Wearables, it's the buzzword, and a wearable that many blind people have been working with for almost three years, I think it is now, is the Apple Watch. And Anna Dresner has written a new book called You and Your Apple Watch. It is an easy-to-read guide to getting up and running with Apple Watch and just learning what it can do. Anna, you're prolific. You've got another book in the works. How's it going? All right. (laughs) Yeah, it's been it's been quite interesting because um, since Cassell Wilson took the uh, editorial helm at National Braille Press, she's just really been encouraging me to write all kinds of stuff. Now, you had an Apple Watch book before, which you wrote pretty much immediately after the Apple Watch came out, and that was more of a diary. This one is more of a an instruction manual, right? a getting started kind of guide. Yes, exactly. Uh, the other one was basically trying to answer the question or help people answer the question of, you know, would this be a cool thing to have? What would it do for me? What's it like to have one? Whereas this is more, I mean, it does hopefully answer those questions, but it is more organized in terms of, you know, having the information as an instruction kind of thing, as opposed to an, an experiential book. It seems to me, I don't know if you agree with this, it seems to me that Apple's been kind of finding their way a little bit with Apple Watch, that they decided how cool would it be to have a product that was on your wrist and that was very useful, but that over the last three years or so, they've really been working out precisely what that use case is. It's changed quite a lot since it came out. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they've definitely increased their focus on health because that is kind of something that the watch can do that the iPhone can't in the same way. I mean, the iPhone can store data, but in terms of tracking data, it's easier to do that on the watch. And yeah, I think they've been kind of trying to figure out what are people the most likely to use this for. And some of the apps that originally came out with Apple Watch, some of the third-party apps are no longer available. So for example, Google Maps has now been withdrawn from Apple Watch, and there are one or two other big players who have stopped their watchOS apps altogether. So it does seem like health has become the focus. But as you point out in your book, there are still a lot of things that you can do. For those who've never used an Apple Watch, and I do see these inquiries coming to our Mosin Consulting contact form a lot, where people say, you know, what would I actually do with an Apple Watch? What's the benefit of having one? What would your answer to that question be? Well, of course, there is the obvious health stuff. You you get the re- reminders to move, and uh, you can have workouts, and it can track 
how much activity you're doing. So it can be helpful for that kind of thing. My actually favorite thing about it is that notifications can come to your wrist. Um, an example I use right at the beginning of the book is a couple of years ago, we were at this comics convention and there was this loud, noisy, frantic environment with people running here and there and selling stuff and all of this. And we were trying to meet up with friends and they were going to be texting us. And it was wonderful because when they did text us, that went right to my wrist. So I didn't have to worry about, am I going to hear the message? Am I going to know it's there? And then I was actually able to dictate back to them on the watch without having to haul the phone out. It was just a really quick way of making the communication that might not have gone through. So for those kinds of situations, I really like it. And then there's some apps if you happen to have a particular need that can be really nice. Like I knit and there's this app called Clicker and all it does is you click on it and it goes from zero to one and you click on it and it goes from one to two. But so if you're doing a pattern that says knit for 10 rows and then do this for five rows or whatever, having this little counter that's right there handy is neat. So, you know, you might find some specific use case like that with some app since you can run 30 third party apps on it that might really be helpful. It's not, most of it's not absolutely vital, but it's very, very useful at times. And there may be a bit of a gender difference here, a gender issue with this, because a lot of women's clothing don't have pockets. And so you tend to put a phone somewhere like a purse or a handbag, whereas I always have my phone on my person in a shirt pocket usually. I will not buy shirts that don't have a pocket that's big enough to accommodate my iPhone. But it used to frustrate the soup out of me when I would try and call Bonnie about something important. And she'd be in some busy mall or supermarket or something like that, and her phone would ring, and she just wouldn't hear it because it was tucked away somewhere in her handbag, and I'd need to get hold of her. And so I thought, Bonnie, an Apple Watch is the answer. And ever since she's got an Apple Watch, of course, even if she can't hear that, and it's right on her wrist, so she normally does, but you can feel the vibrations on the wrist. You can take the call right from the watch if you need to. And, of course, the way that AirPods integrate uh, with both the Apple Watch and, and anything that's in your iCloud account is also pretty fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And even though I do carry my phone in, in a pocket, but even so, if you're trying to answer a text message and the message comes in and there's a little dictate button right on your wrist versus, oh, there's a message if I heard it and then hauling the phone out and opening the notification, it's just more steps. That's interesting. One of the things about notifications coming to your wrist, it can be a blessing and a curse, right? And I remember when I got my first Apple Watch, that slow limbering, I think they now refer refer to it as a Series Zero, don't they? Because it was the very very first one and it really is slow. Um, I mean, it was slow then and it's even slower now. But one of the things I remember was I chose the option that basically gave me all my notifications on my wrist and I soon realized that that was a bad idea because what I find works for me anyway, and of course it, it, it's up to each individual what works for them, but I, I have a hierarchy, if you will. So the notifications I let on my wrist are really important things like text messages and uh, the occasional, like if I'm tracking a parcel with the parcel app, I want that on my wrist so that I know something's up for delivery and I need to be mindful of its arrival, that kind of thing. So you can develop a kind of a hierarchy of, of notifications. Yeah, I love that. It really is nice because I agree. I would not want every notification (laughs) to go to my wrist. That would just be overkill. But it's very nice to be able to have them, just the ones that you want. What watch are you running now? It sounds like you have the cellular Series 3 based on the book. Right. I um, was very happy to get that one because I had the initial watch to begin with. And it was such a step up. And, you know, if I hadn't been writing the book, I'm not sure if I would have bothered with the cellular because I almost always have my phone right on me. And so I'm not sure how necessary it would be to have that independent functionality because basically the one that doesn't have cellular will work and do all the same stuff if the watch, I mean, if the phone is with you and on, but 
it is kind of cool to know that if I ever was off somewhere without the phone for some reason, um, that I would still have the option of that I could get a notification if it was urgent or answer a phone call or make a phone call, assuming I was someplace that had a cell signal. It seems to me voiceover hasn't received a lot of love since its initial release, except for the um, the haptic time, which is an absolutely wonderful feature. In fact, it was when the haptic time came along, or do they call it taptic time? I can't remember. I think, it, but when that came along, I actually abandoned wearing any other watch. Until then, I actually used to wear two watches because sometimes you just need to check the time and it's not appropriate to have it talk but it's the only watch i wear now other than that there's not been too much that's changed or evolved with voiceover uh no i can't think of real i can't really think of any changes with voiceover particularly i mean it does pretty much what it needs to do um i mean there are times when i do wish there would there would be a rotor so you could move by characters and words occasionally because there's no way to check on the spelling of something if you're not sure exactly what it said Um, that would be a really nice addition but i agree with you about the haptic or taptic time Um, and on the newer watch i've i found i found on the the original watch that it would um, like sometimes I would try to use it and it would yell out the time anyway. And, you know, it's just kind of embarrassing. Cause like you said, usually if you're using that feature, you're trying to be subtle and it would do that. But I have, have had a lot less trouble with that on this watch. Thank goodness. One thing I do find uh, disappointing about the voiceover support is that you can't change the voice from within voiceover settings, even though a number of voices are in rom and that in in english-speaking countries you do have karen which is the default voice if you are in australia and new zealand in the united states you get samantha and in the uk you get daniel which is actually my preferred voice i use daniel all the time on my i devices and although you can't get to it from voiceover settings you can actually change the voice by changing the region on your watch so i have my region set to the uk and that gives me daniel but sometimes there may be other implications of that that you don't want to live with particularly if you don't use um meters and um, newer measurements like the united states doesn't right dates could be kind of funny too when you when you do that yeah Um, i agree that would make sense and now that I noticed the other day that uh, that I think it's the older Siri voice is now showing up on the watch, and it would be cool for people to have that as an option too. I don't see why, if these voices are there, people shouldn't be able to pick them. Mm. That the Siri support is pretty nice on the new Apple Watch series, and it's just so much more responsive. Um, I think it's a good investment for those who are interested in this stuff. You have also taken a look at other wearables. How do you think the Apple Watch compares? Because there are much cheaper wearables out there that have some degree of accessibility. Is it worth the investment in your view? I think it really depends what you want. Now, I was looking at the Fitbit last um, February and March in that range. So of course they keep changing, but based on that, I mean, I was able to get the information I needed through the Fitbit app. The app itself has some accessibility quirks, but was more, is more or less, or was more or less um, quite usable. And I mean, I would say 95% of what I wanted to do was completely accessible. Um, so if you are just interested in something that's going to remind you to get up and move and track your steps and track your activity and that kind of stuff, a Fitbit might very well be all you need. On the other hand, having something that does have its own screen reader built in is very convenient. Some of the Fitbits can at least tap you if you have a notification, but of course, if you actually want to read that notification, you're not going to be able to do that with the Fitbit. And so if you're interested in some of the third-party apps or you'd like to be able to play music on your device or uh, you're interested in being able to grab a phone call, take a phone call in an emergency, or, or if you don't have access to your phone, then the watch is going to be better. So I think if what you want is, 
if you're just interested in fitness tracking and you're fine with using the app, then the Fitbits are certainly a very cost-effective way of doing that. I don't think you'll be disappointed. But if you'd like to have more functionality, then the watch is a really good way to go. As someone who wears hearing aids and loud noises, noisy environments can be a difficult uh, kind of environment to work in, I did have trouble sometimes hearing the speech of the Apple Watch in moderately noisy environments with the first version, the one that we both had until recently. I found that the Apple Watch Series 3 is considerably louder. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, and I think the speaker's better, so it's probably going to be clearer even even if it's not when you're not at full volume or even if if you are. And so I imagine that also, I would think that would help. Yeah, it's definitely an improvement. There are things that you can't do with the Apple Watch's speaker that I'm, I'm surprised you can't do. For example, I would love to have a podcast app that plays on the Apple Watch. And I think Overcast was doing that for a wee while. And then they Apple did something that caused Overcast to revoke that feature. I'm surprised that you just can't listen to podcasts or at least spoken word audio. Wouldn't it be cool to have an audible book playing on your watch or, or, or a bad book, I guess, for that matter, playing on your watch? And it doesn't seem like Apple is making that, that kind of thing available via speaker, although I, I don't fully understand it because if you use an app like Just Press Record, I don't know if you're a user of that app, but I love that app because you can just have a complication on your wrist, double tap, and you're immediately recording to iCloud. You can play those recordings back. So I'm, I'm not sure what the deal is with that. I don't know. It, it doesn't really make much sense. I don't know why, if you can play music and all that, why can't you play that through the speaker if you want? I mean, nobody's going to want to listen to hours and hours of that speaker and music, but I could see how it could be convenient. I don't see why it should be impossible to do. You mentioned in the book that you used a third-party activity app. What is that app and why did you choose to do that? What's inadequate about the one that's built into the Apple Watch? Well, it's called Activity Plus Plus and really all it does is it just, it shows the data a little differently. Um, If you are using the regular activity app, it will tell you kind of the percent of the activity ring that you've done. And you can find out, say, you know, not just the percent of calories, but how many calories, if you go to one of those screens and put that up as a complication, if you choose the analog or digital choice, you can have that information. But I kind of like that activity plus plus, you just touch it and it'll say, 30% of move and actually tell you how many calories and it's just all one thing. I kind of like that. They do a number of good apps, don't they? Um, I also use the sleep plus plus app. And when that thing first came out, I was a bit sort of skeptical about it because of the battery life of the Apple watch. And I realized that what you can do is if you, if you, charge the phone, the watch while you're in the shower and perhaps when you've um, reached your goals by the uh, end of the day just give it a quick charge before you go to bed it's it's a viable app to use and actually these days the apple watch's battery life i think is pretty jolly acceptable so you can easily get a couple of days out of the watch in normal use use i find yeah the, the battery life is just way better on the new watch and so and you know, and so it's not going to get that far depleted. So absolutely, you could charge it up in those kind of bits of downtime. And if you're interested in sleep tracking, I do wish they would change on Sleep Plus Plus. There's a feature that can let you trim your night. So if you didn't get to sleep right away, you could change that visually. And I wish they would make that accessible because the whole rest of the app is accessible. But it is a cool app. It it's, um, certainly will tell you something about your sleep and when you got your deepest sleep and that kind of stuff. It is, it's not something I use on a regular basis, but I did check it out when I was doing the fitness book because the Fitbits have sleep tracking. And so I wanted to compare those options. Yeah. Sleep is the final frontier for me. I, I feel like I have everything else pretty much sorted now, but <laughs> getting it, it's the whole, um, 
non-24 thing. So I, I quite enjoy checking the sleep and finding out how much I've got and when and that kind of stuff. So there are quite a few third-party apps that are uh, useful, some of which have equivalent iPhone functionality, for example, Shazam on the watch. I mentioned Just Press Record. I think there are a number of other audio recorders. Do you use any audio recorder app on your Apple Watch? I have Just Press Record and I've used it a little bit. I don't tend to need to record things that often. And so I haven't used it that much, but I agree. It's nice to have it there. One thing that's cool about the watch is you can have multiple faces with different complications on them. And so then you can just kind of swipe back and forth between them so you can have a bunch of them handy. So I have that one on a screen that I can get to with a swipe and um, or, you know, a two-finger flick. And um, it's certainly nice to know that if I do need to grab a quick phone number or something, that that option is there. Yes. I also find it useful if you get into situations, for example, where um, somebody's trying to refuse a guide dog, um, it's so easy to <laughs> to double tap on the just press record complication and actually get the audio because so often people try to deny what they've done in that situation. So, yeah, a lot of people are doing this now, um, be they sighted or blind, taking video in some cases, audio in other cases of an incident like that so they have a record. And just being able to do that on the watch I find is very handy in those rare occasions where – yeah, you've got guide dog issues. So it's, it's a peace of mind thing as well, I think. Yeah, that's a really cool use case I hadn't thought of. That's great. Are you using Carrot Weather at all? I see a lot of people referring to the Carrot Weather app, which uh, sort of like gives you weather forecast with attitude. And they're everywhere. I mean, they're on Apple TV and iOS and watchOS. And they do seem to be mindful of accessibility issues. Oh, that's cool. I, I've heard of it, but I haven't actually used it. Yeah, so many apps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So absolutely. The, the whole process, so you, you are going to take people in this book all the way from, if you've never had an Apple Watch before, how you set the thing up. And uh, that can be a little bit um, confusing. It's the, the process of pairing the watch, there's a bit of a knack to it. And I was really impressed by how you explained that knack. So if you're looking at getting an Apple Watch, it's good to read that chapter first and just understand how easy it actually is with the right technique to pair the watch. And then you go right through a whole bunch of settings to um, optimize Apple Watch for uh, voiceover users or for a range of experiences. For example, there's a little trick which I won't give away that talks about how to really uh, optimize the way that the, the uh, screen of apps looks so that it's not kind of all over the place and a lot of people don't know force touch on the apple watch which is kind of like pressing hard on the screen it's almost like the way things are buried away in the um shift f10 menu the the, the context menu on both ios on uh, mac os and windows isn't it there's lots of little features tucked away when you force touch something yeah that's a really important thing to keep in mind if you're ever using an app and you're thinking gosh i wonder why this app doesn't do us and such. It's definitely worth worth trying to push on the screen and see if any other options come up because especially since the watch screen is very small and they have to keep the layouts pretty simple. And so the odds that something might be tucked away in that menu are pretty high. I don't know whether this is luck on my part or psychology or what the deal is, but I have found that dictation on the Apple Watch seems to me a lot more reliable, um, a lot fewer errors when using the Apple Watch for dictating a text message than the phone. Have you found that or am I dreaming that? I've had it really vary. I've had some times where it was just really spot on. And then I've had times where it's just like, oh, the heck with it. I'm bringing out the <laughs> phone. <laughs> and I have no idea why that would be, except that. Um, maybe just a funky internet connection or whatever. I don't know, because at least if then if there's a problem, you can have some option of editing because that is an issue. But yeah, sometimes the, the dictation is just really good. And I was impressed. Like I've been, I've been very impressed sometimes how even in a noisy environment, it's been able to really pick me up. I mean, obviously I hold the watch really close to my mouth if I'm trying to dictate a message under those conditions, but it seems to do a really good job of picking out my voice from all of the sound around me. 
I love the workout features, the health features of the Apple Watch. They've really helped me to lose all the weight I've lost, and I just think it's absolutely fantastic. But one thing I have not done, you know, I've got this iPhone 10 that cost a small fortune, and it's supposed to be very water-resistant, and I see all these people with selfies and, and, and videos of using their iPhone in the tub like a rubber ducky and you know and the Apple Watch is the same you're supposed to be able to go swimming with it showering with it I've never done it um have you you got your watch significantly underwater or wet in any way not really I admit I've, I've just it's like okay I've spent all this money on this computer and now I'm supposed <laughs> to dunk it <laughs> I mean, I do keep it on when I'm washing dishes, which I would have probably taken off my other watch just because I figure, you know, no big deal if it gets a little wet. Um, and How come you I haven't really got some should. sort of high-tech dishwasher that, you know, doesn't require you to get your wrist wet? Well, I mean, I have a, I do have a dishwasher. Oh, that's but of good. Of course, you, you still got to, but you got to rinse those dishes. Oh, fair enough. No, you, you or, just, you know, I, I thought my image was ruined for a minute there of you sort of hand washing all these dishes. And yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. but you got to, yeah, you know, if you're washing a hand, if you're hand washing a pot, you know, right, you got to right. get your okay, hand good. in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really haven't done that. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I should have before I did the book just so I'd really find out what happens or what it feels like when it squirts the water out. But I've heard that it's not a big, you know, that, that it really isn't a lot of water. So, um, yeah, I haven't done that, but I guess if I were going to do a swimming workout, I guess I'd probably try it at that point, but I can't really see having it on in the shower. I don't know. There's just something about, Oh, for goodness sakes, be off the grid for that yeah. long. Can't you? <laughs> you know? And when you do get it wet, my understanding is the speaker doesn't work anyway, right? It goes into sort of a water lock mode. Well, the speaker will still work, but the screen does not. When you turn water lock on or start a swim workout, I guess it turns water lock on. And at that point, the screen stops being responsive. If you, I mean, you can still tap it, but if you try to flick around and that kind of thing, it doesn't do anything. Um, but it will still speak. And uh, you can actually use Siri because there's there was a there's a situation where, and now I can't even remember the details of it. Where, oh yeah, if you happen to have this digital crown navigation on, where you can use the digital crown to move around the screen, and then you forget and turn water lock on, then you can't unlock, you can't turn it off again with by turning the digital crown, which is how you normally do it. And so then you have to use Siri to turn off voiceover. Um, so thank goodness, you know, you can do that. Um, I guess some guy I heard about was like out in the ocean and his boat engine died or something. And he had to use his Apple watch to call for help or no, he was surfing or something. And, and yeah, so his watch was wet, but he managed to kind of guess, shake it off and then, you know, call somebody. So. Um, it can be pretty fun. It's reasonably functional, but you don't have access to the screen itself. So you can't use voiceover. I must tell you, I have, of course, Apple Watch monitoring my heart rate, which by default it will do. And my daughter, Heidi, got married and uh, we had an outdoor wedding for her. That's what they wanted. And it was incredibly hot and sweltering there, sitting there in a suit and a lot of emotions, of course, when your daughter gets married. And I did oh, yeah. get this notification when I was sitting there sweltering away in the heat. And this notification told me that my heart rate had gone above 120 minute, uh, beats a minute when it looked like I wasn't actually being very active. And it just thought I should know. So <laughs> um, it's incredible. But what I, what I really do like about it is that when I go for, say, an annual physical, you can bring up your data in the health app because, of course, everything the Apple Watch is collecting about your activity uh, is stored in the health app. And you can let your doctor have a look and you can scroll through and see, uh, show them how regularly you're exercising. I also have a smart scale, which integrates with the health app and it's Wi-Fi. So all I have to do first thing in the morning is stand on that scale. And that's all I've got to do. The, the Wi-Fi has uh, sent the data to the health app and it's there. So the doctor gets a full picture. So it's really quite um, useful, I think, if you're health conscious and want to track your matrix over time. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And I signed up for the Heart Study app, which is this um, study they're doing um, to see if the watch can pick up irregular heartbeats. I don't have any reason to think that that would be an issue for me, but I think that they want data from people that don't have any history of that to see whether over the course of the study, um, whether they would pick anything up, you know, from and to, to see how reliable the watch is at detecting heart irregularities. And um, I guess those kinds of problems can be precursors to strokes and other issues. So it's pretty cool to think about how the watch might really help people to, especially over time, like you said, between the collected data that, that you're just gathering, and then if it can pick up irregularities or spikes in your heartbeat. I mean, if you had a chest pain and your watch was saying, hey, your heart rate's just jumped up, then you'd have a much clearer idea of whether you should go to the emergency room or not. And in terms of where we're going with this, I think blood sugar levels are the holy grail for a lot of these wearables. And I keep hearing rumors that Apple's getting close to cracking it, perhaps with a special band that you'll be able to attach to the watch and it will be able to track glucose levels, blood sugar levels and things. I mean, that will be huge for many people in this community, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, it really would. I had gestational diabetes and um, all that pricking and poking, taking blood sugars six or seven times a day. And I just had to do it for four weeks and it was just horrendous. <laughs> if you could get even better information without all that poking, it would be a huge step. Yeah, health is a big focus for Apple, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So the book is called You and Your Apple Watch. Uh, tell us a bit about how people can obtain it and uh, the formats it's available in, all those good things. Uh, it is available from National Braille Press. So you would go to www.nbp.org. That's NBP as in National Braille Press. And the easiest thing is just there's a search box on the main page and search for Apple Watch and it should come right up. Um, I know it's in Braille and Daisy text and I think Word. Pretty sure that's the formats that they've got. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.